0: Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection based in Brisbane. I'd like to welcome you to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts produced exclusively for members of Dental Protection. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, my colleague, Dr. Kiran Keshwara, is going to explore when a patient can sue and also have a discussion about dental negligence. So, Kiran, I guess starting from the beginning, what is dental negligence?
1: Negligence is a failure to take reasonable care to avoid causing harm or personal injury to an individual. Failure to take reasonable care can either be doing something or failing to do something, otherwise called acts or omissions. An example in dentistry could be if you see a patient and decide to pull out their 3-8. If you pull out the wrong tooth, the 3-6, for example, this would be an act that has caused the patient harm. On the other hand, you could extract the 3 out without a pre-op x-ray or CBCT and damage the nerve during the extraction. Here, the failure to take an appropriate radiograph would be an omission. For negligence to be proven, the plaintiff i.e. the patient, would need to prove four things. One, that the defendant owed the plaintiff a a duty of care. Two, that there was a breach of this duty of care by an act or omission. Three, that the plaintiff was injured. And finally, that the alleged act or omission by the defendant caused the injury.
0: Thanks, Kieran. So when can a patient actually sue?
1: I think actually, Annalena, a better question would be, when can a patient successfully sue? Because a patient can threaten to sue at any point and may find a lawyer who will agree to take on their case, even without merits. So a patient can successfully sue when they can prove with evidence that the dentist failed in their duty of care towards the patient by an act or omission that has caused the patient an injury. The onus is on the patient, the plaintiff, to prove negligence. Purely by the nature of dentistry, proving that the clinician had a duty of care towards the patient is usually easy to prove, so we'll skip past that. Bit. The next part is to prove whether the clinician has done or failed to do something, such as in our example about the extraction of the 3A. Now here, if we can find a reasonable body of experts who, have, who would have done the same as our clinician, we would use this information as part of Dental Protection's role in defending our member. Generally, if there is an injury, such as nerve damage, or in the case of the wrongly extracted tooth, the missing tooth, this can be seen and would generally be agreed to by all the parties. If we are able to place reasonable doubt as to whether an injury has actually occurred, we may be able to get the case dismissed at an early stage. The next part is called causation. This is the aspect of the negligence claim that can be the most contentious. To prove that the act or omission by the member has on a balance of probabilities caused the injury can become confusing we generally apply what's called the but for test in any claims made against our members to try to determine the causation that is would the injury have occurred but for the acts or emissions of the defendant using a previous example of the three six that was mistakenly extracted we would ask would the patient have lost the 3-6, but for the clinician having incorrectly applied forceps and forces to that too? In other words, would the 3-6 have been lost without the dentist's intervention? And of course, the answer would be no. However, the but for test is not the only determinant of causation and common sense principles will also apply. Other aspects of causation, such as novice actors and scope of liability issues, are considered when determining whether the negligence has caused the alleged harm. At Dental Protection, we rely on our collective experience, our database of experts, as well as our developed relationships with our panel lawyers to get the best outcomes for our members.
0: That's great to know. Thank you, Kieran. But one of the things our members often ask us is, do I have any protection against nonsense claims?
1: Unfortunately. Many patients will have read or seen completely fictitious TV court cases where a person decides they're going to sue someone and the next minute they're walking out of court with a cigar in their mouth and a couple of million dollars. This isn't how it works in the real world, at least not in Australia. There is legislation here which discourages people from making frivolous claims. Each state and territory has legislated procedural steps particular to them. For example, in Queensland, there's something called PIPA. This is the Personal Injuries Proceedings Act 2002, which details the forms that need to be served, the details required in the forms and when they should be served. It also contains timelines and necessary steps, such as compulsory conference and mandatory final offers if the matter is not resolved by the end of the conference.
0: So what if a patient threatens to sue or if I receive a letter or an email from a lawyer?
1: Naturally, the first thing to do is to take a deep breath and then give us a call. You have a requirement as part of your indemnity policy to inform dental protection of any cases that arise. Our team of dental legal consultants will be able to talk to you initially about how best to manage the patient. We'll ask you to send in the patient records in their entirety, along with any x-rays, photos and communication you've had from the patient, their lawyer and or any specialist's. Once we have this and have looked at it, we'll have a frank discussion with you about whether the patient has grounds to make a complaint. And if they do and they haven't contacted a lawyer yet, we'll work with you to resolve the complaint as quickly and as simply as possible. If a lawyer has made contact, we'll discuss the claim with you along with one of our panel lawyers. At Dental Protection, all the dental legal consultants are dentists and we do not give legal advice. Because of this, we work with a group of lawyers in each state and territory who has knowledge of the particular state and territory and how they work. We facilitate contact between you and the lawyer so that they have as much information as possible to help you in defending your case. The dental legal consultant will instruct the lawyers and manage the particulars of the case. This allows us to protect our members' interests. And we use our clinical knowledge and experience to achieve the best outcome for our members.
0: What can I do once I've told dental protection about a claim?
1: Basically, Annaline, carry on as normal and try not to think about the claim too much, anyway. The last thing any of us would want is for the claim to linger in your mind, affecting your personal life and professional life and your ability to care for your patients. We will arrange meetings with lawyers and may call you to keep you updated or to get your opinions and instructions on why certain things may have been said or done. But in most claims, we'll try our best to keep your exposure to the entire process to a minimum.
0: How long does a case last, Karen?
1: That will usually depend on the complexity of the case. We've got some cases that we're able to close with a simple letter from our lawyers. On the other hand, there are some cases that can last for many years. These are really complicated cases and a number of steps need to be followed. Again, we'll try to keep you informed of any particular developments of the case while allowing you to carry on with your day-to-day work. Depending on the case, we may hold meetings with you, the lawyer, and us, so that we're all able to ensure that we're in agreement with the clinical matters and how the case is being handled. Separately, we'll also hold meetings with the lawyers, and sometimes the plaintiff lawyers, but we'll do our best to ensure that you, our member, is not exposed to this.
0: So Kieran, I've read before that dentists just don't get sued and dental practitioners in Australia just don't get sued. Is that true?
1: Well, I think you're referring there to an article in September 2015 that was published in the Australian Dental Journal. Here the authors analysed litigation cases regarding oral surgery procedures and they found that over a 20-year period There were 15 cases, Now this is tiny and significantly fewer than the number of cases we at Dental Protection have. It further goes to highlight the fact that most claims for money do not go to court. This is in part because of the legislation in the Collective Liabilities Act of each state and territory, which is written to encourage the resolution of each claim far before it goes to court. This can be by discontinuing a case, early settlement, or an appropriate mediation.
0: But Kieran, is everyone going to find out that I'm being sued?
1: Uh, Annalyn, this is a common concern for our members. If a case isn't going to go to court, any negotiations or settlements would not be disclosed to the public, and it's not likely that anyone would know that you have been or are being sued. The patient can complain to ARPRA. And again, unless a condition is placed on your practice, nothing will be disclosed.
0: So what steps can I take to avoid being sued in the first place?
1: As you know, Annalee, the nature of dentistry is such that no one can predict what will happen when you're treating a patient. Most of treatments are provided, are completed without any problems. And sadly, when things do go wrong, they can be significant. While you can't avoid treatments going wrong, There are a number of things that you, as a clinician, can do to reduce the risk. Communication. This is the single most important factor in reducing the risk of getting complaints and, by extension, litigation. Patients want to feel that there's a connection between you and them. And loads of studies have shown that if a patient feels that that there's a personal connection between you, the risk of complaints is lower. So be friendly with your patients. Ask them about their day make a note of their dog's name and the next holiday that they've got planned and talk to them about it. This will not only reduce the risk of you being sued, but also help add some variety to your day, unless everyone's dog's name is Frank. Along with this, if you talk to the patient and explain what you are doing in simple, jargon-free terms and discuss their options and highlight any risks, they will understand the treatment provided better and the consent process can be better documented. This will also help in managing patient expectations, From how long the treatment will take to how much it will cost and how long the treatment will last. Secondly, don't rush your treatments and consultations. Patients can pick up when they're being rushed through treatment. And this is one of the more common complaints that we at dental protection see. The two main advantages of taking your time are that there is a greater likelihood that you will take and interpret the appropriate tests and make the correct diagnosis. There's also a reduced risk of steps being missed or rushed. The patients feel that you have paid more attention to them, which in turn leads to a reduced risk of complaints in the first place. The next thing you can do is provide tried and tested treatments while keeping up to date. Something that is unusual or done very little can be difficult to defend and can also put aspects of your registration at risk. You should be comfortable that you have sufficient training in any treatment that you provide and can defend your position in case of questioning by another person. Record keeping is also really important. Make sure that the patient records are well documented with as much information as you can record from x-rays and photographs to any conversations you have with the patient. If a patient refuses a test or treatment make sure you record it and have highlighted to the patient the risks involved in not following your advice. And finally, Make sure you get your diagnosis right, and if you're not sure, don't be scared to refer a patient for a second opinion. Finally, if something does go wrong, you should make sure your records are up to date and contact Dental Protection so that we can guide you and help you with how best to deal with the situation and limit your exposure to any litigation or regulatory matters.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Kieran, for that really relevant and interesting content. And thank you all for listening. We do hope this podcast was helpful to you. And we look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Goodbye.